0: Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. I'm going to look at just one verse this morning. And if you have your Bibles or your devices, however you look at the scriptures, um, it's Galatians 5.13. But I want to begin by reading a section from a book called Descending into Greatness, which was written by Bill Hybels uh, many years ago. And it's the chapters called uh, Life Totally Lived for Self Ends with Self. So let me read this, uh, this excerpt from uh, this book. He writes, I didn't really know the man except for what I read of him. His life ended tragically and ironically. At the time of his death, only 120 pounds stretched along his six-foot, four-inch frame. His entire body was colourless, even his lips. His hair and beard and nails were hideously long and unkept. Many of his teeth were rotting black stumps. On his arms and thighs and clustered tightly in his groin area were needle marks. He was a junkie, skin popping more than 20 grams daily, sometimes three or four times that much. His eyes most often looked dead, but occasionally they gleamed from their deep, sunken sockets with a surprising and frightening intensity. This, the man who was the envy of a generation. During his life, he had it all. Power, fame, money, unlimited pleasures. He owned strong things and weak people. He gave himself unreservedly to self-indulgence. If ever a man had what it takes to be satisfied, to be content, the jealous public would say it had to be Howard Hughes. A life lived totally for self ends with self. Galatians 5.13, Paul writes, For you, brothers or brethren, have been called to freedom or liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You, my friends, are called to be free. What were Paul's friends freed from? It's essential to understand as Christians what we are freed from in order to comprehend how how we as Christians should respond to this freedom. The book of Galatians is written to a number of house churches in Galatia. And Paul, as a missionary, had set up these churches. He had delivered to them the gospel, or the good news, that people are saved by grace through faith or trust or belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ, apart from their good deeds. But shortly after Paul's departure other teachers came into Galatia and started preaching. And these teachers were adding to Paul's message. They were essentially saying yes, it all it is all about your faith or your trust or belief in Jesus, but there are other things that need to be attached to that. It's faith in Christ plus your obedience to the Old Testament laws. And Paul's letter to the Galatian churches was to address this false teaching. So consequently, the question or fundamental question posed by Paul and answered by the book of Galatians is this. Are we saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ or does our obedience to the law, e.g. the Ten Commandments, in addition to our faith, bring about our salvation and make us right with God. For Paul, a person cannot contribute anything to their salvation. It must be by faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul says in verse 13 is this. Faith brings freedom from the burden of the law. And I'm going to labour on this point. I have three points. This is what I'm going to labour on. Because if you miss this, you miss the very heart or essence of the gospel message itself. If you miss this, your Christian life will be a mess. And you will not have the peace and joy... That knowing Jesus Christ brings if you miss this one point trusting in your good works according to God's laws cannot make you right before God it's as simple as that trusting in your good works however good you are does not make you declared right, which is what the term justified means. It's a legal term. It means to be declared right in God's presence. And that cannot come about through good deeds. Many years ago when I was a young 13-year-old boy, I arrived home one afternoon and my mother had packed my suitcases and she said, you're going on a camp. With your cousins. I thought, this is interesting, we never go on camps. And I arrived at this camp and I realised pretty quickly that it was a camp for young Maori boys who were always in trouble. And it was a camp to kind of pull you all in together, you know, a kind of troublesome free weekend for the parents, and get us all our boys together and try and change our behaviour over a weekend. It was a dreadful camp. (laughs) But do you know what they did? From the beginning to the end, we had to, the task was to memorise the Ten Commandments. At the end of the camp, you would get up and recite verbatim the Ten Commandments. I mean, most of us couldn't do it. Ironically, my brother, who was the worst of us, actually won the chocolate bar for reciting the Ten Commandments. And their strategy was, by learning the Ten Commandments... Now, we don't come from... I didn't come from a Christian home. But the thinking was, to learn the Ten Commandments, that would hopefully curb our mischievous behaviour. But there was this subtle underlying message that not only was it to curb our behaviour, but if we get this right then God will accept us. If we get this right, God will accept us. And that's not where it led me to, I can tell you that. One of the fundamental purposes of the law of God is to show us who we, we truly are. It was never given as a ladder or a way to actually, through our own efforts, make us right before God. It was given like a mirror to reveal our true nature. That we are corrupt in some way. That there is something inherently wrong with human beings that does not reflect what was created by God. And this is not just a religious thing. Philosophers have been acknowledging this for centuries. There is something wrong with the human heart. And often we rebel against God. The law is to reveal that to us via the work of the Spirit, taking the law and challenging us with it. Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man, listen to what Paul says, is not justified by the works of the law, he goes on, for by the works of the law will no flesh be justified. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist. Everyone just got a shiver up their spine, didn't you? Except for young people. The dentist is not like it used to be. But it's kind of like you, when you go to the dentist and the dentist puts that little mirror, you know, a little mirror into your mouth, which kind of detects any kind of, you know, cavities or problems But she doesn't start drilling or banging with the mirror or pull teeth with the mirror. It can show her the decayed area or the abnormality, but it doesn't provide the solution. The the law's purpose is to point out the problem of sin, but it doesn't provide a solution Billy Graham, the late evangelist, said the law is a moral mirror. It condemns, but it does not convert. And that is why Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 24 of Galatians, that the law was like a tutor to bring us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Listen to his words. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. The law was designed, taking from the context, the Roman context of a tutor who would live with you if you could afford that and would essentially raise your child until they were about 11 and then they would move on. The law, says Paul, was to teach us the great truth that only faith in Jesus Christ, only through that faith can we be justified or declared right. And it's although its fundamental purpose is negative, Not positive, the law is to actually bring us to a point of humiliation. It is to show that this is who God is, a holiness we could never comprehend. It's to bring us to a point of desperation before God, pleading for his mercy apart from our works. And good deeds. And yet, these false teachers in Galatia are teaching that a person is saved via their place, their faith, in addition to their good deeds. And we need to be careful we do not fall into the same trap. Any message apart from faith alone in the person and work of Jesus is called by Paul in chapter 1, verse 6, a different message gospel. In fact, he goes on to call it a perversion. And he writes that those who add to my message of faith alone, by grace alone, may be cursed from God. He uses very, very explicit terms, which in the Greek means to be set apart for destruction. Destruction. You see, for Paul, it's either faith or it's works. This is a non-negotiable. And according to Paul, additionally, he says, if you think your good works contribute to your salvation, let me tell you this, you cannot pick or choose what laws you want to obey and add that to your faith. If he says to the Galatians, you, if you submit to some of these laws, now in the book of Galatians, they're focused on what we call the ceremonial laws. Circumcision, food restrictions, special days. He said, no, no, you can't just choose those ones. If you, if you submit to some of those laws, then you are obliged to actually keep all the law. And there are some 630 Laws in the Old Testament. And one of the problems I think with, and I love Reformation theology, but one of the problems which has come out of the Reformation is this division of the law. into ceremonial, legal, and social. No, 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 that's not how the Jews see the law. The Jews see the law as one unit. The law is the law. If you think you are going to add to your faith your obedience to the law, then you are obliged to keep... All the law, not just parts of it. Stand there fast, says Paul. Stand therefore in the liberty by, Christ, uh, by which Christ has made you free. In Galatians 5, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I say to you, if you become circumcised, he's talking to the Galatians there, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Listen to these words. If you want to add to your salvation, works according to the law, he says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. The word estranged there, or severed, Can mean a Christian's vital bond of faith in God's grace is broken. Or it can mean to be made ineffective. I would prefer the latter. It becomes ineffective. You see, these teachers, false teachers, are threatening to take away the freedom we have as Christians, by opposing upon them a legalistic standard that nobody other than Jesus Christ could keep. Why, says Paul, why? Why do you who are free seek once again to be under the burden of a standard you could not keep, a burden that led you to the mercy and grace of God, to bring the law upon Christians is to impose bondage upon a free person and to render void the work of Christ. If we are in Christ we are we have died with Christ. We have been resurrected with Christ. We are beyond death. In Christ we are beyond the jurisdiction of the law. We have freedom. That's what Paul means when he says, you, my friends, were called to be free men. That's what freedom means. However, what we do with this freedom is of vital importance to Paul. And we will see that freedom from the bonds of the law does not relate, uh, you know, result in lawlessness. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That's my laboured point. The second point that Paul makes is that freedom of Christ is not a licence for sinful living. Do not use your freedom or liberty, he says, as an opportunity for the flesh or your lower nature. You see, freedom from the law actually brings with it an obligation, the proper use of freedom. And Paul is warning the Galatian converts against using this freedom as a rationale for indulging in whatever behaviour they want. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hollow Man. Uh, Kevin Bacon, I think, is the man. It came out in the 90s. Very realistic film. It's about a group of scientists who discover how to become invisible. And the leading man is insane. And he discovers that there's a new world out there if you can become invisible. And in one statement he makes in the movie, I thought, this is a fascinating statement. He says, it's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at your face in the mirror. It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at your face in the mirror. Now He realises that he can do anything he wants with no repercussions, and thus he tries to kill all the other scientists who know the formula. So he is the only one. He wants to take this newfound lifestyle and abuse it. The famous English writer Aldous Huxley said, A man's worst, worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. She's thinking The Galatians were thinking in extremes. Like so many Christians today, Some had reverted to be trying to make themselves righteous before God by keeping the law. Others had gone to the opposite extreme. They thought they were able to do anything they want. It's Christians using their freedom as a pretext for sinful behaviour and to have this attitude is to misuse, abuse and misunderstand the freedom that we have been given. A right understanding of the grace of God should teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. Titus chapter 2. So his second point is freedom in Christ is not a license to do whatever you want. His third and final point from this text is that rather freedom in Christ expresses itself in loving service towards others. Be servants to one another in love, says Paul. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. The proper use of freedom is to be servants of one another. Paul is essentially saying, you know what it means to be free? Here's how it applies to your life. Here's how it is demonstrated. I love the illustration of the executive who died and went to heaven. And there he found all former executives separated into two rooms, the failures in one hall and the successful in another hall. Around mealtime, he entered the hall of those who failed and was surprised to find the occupants looking thin and hungry. When the angels began to serve dinner, large platters of delicious food were placed at the table but before anyone was seated another angel came along and strapped long iron spoon, a long iron spoon to each executive's arm. The long handle of the spoon was fastened to the wrists and biceps making it impossible to bend the arm and as a result none was able to lift the spoon to his or her mouth. Walking over to the other hall those who had succeeded he was surprised to find them well fed and healthy. Dinner was already on the table and an angel had just finished strapping the long iron spoons to the arms of the diners. Each executive then dipped his spoon into the food and fed the person seated across from them. I like that illustration because it gives us a godly perspective on true success. A successful church is first and foremost a church Where people serve one another. That's the measure of a healthy church. It's not about numbers and it's not about programs. Though those things, programs, are necessary and helpful, but it's about a Christ like attitude of serving others around you. It's being other person focused. Jesus said in Matthew 20, Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christian brotherly love is the means by which we are to serve one another. Paul actually uses the word doulos here, which literally means slave. Be slaves to one another. And that's the great paradox of this passage and indeed the gospel. Christians have been freed from the bondage of the law, been freed from legalism to become a servant, a servant of Christ and serving others voluntarily. And the only compulsion, says Paul, is that of agapeo love, loving others for their benefit, not for ours. And living in Christ by faith empowers us to love others, which, Paul says, is actually the fulfilment of the law anyway. If you take the law as a whole unit or you take the intention of the law or spirit of the law given by God, then it is fundamentally about this. Love God and love your neighbour. This is the end of the law. And this occur- occurs via the work of the Holy Spirit and a believer's knife, life. It's not some adherence to some external code that we've been given, but rather it comes from a context of relationship with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit work, walking, are working in us. Richard John Newis, who was a prominent Christian writer, said, freedom is not the right to do as we please, but the liberty to do as we ought. Not the right to do as we please, but the liberty to do as we ought. We are freed from the bondage of a workspace based mentality. We are liberated from that. Free to be servants of one another. Willing to do literally anything, however costly, irksome and undignified, in order to help out another brother or sister in Christ. That's what love means. As Jesus demonstrated at the Last Supper when he washed the disciples' feet and took on the role of a servant. I want to conclude uh, with a bit of a story. The story is told of a certain church in Europe, which was actually bombed during the Second World War, and in the explosion, a statue of Jesus was was sort of you know damaged, and the hands were actually blown off the statue. And the, the church has been restored today, but the statue hasn't. The statue remains the same. It stands here today with the hands missing, but underneath is put a very well known sentence. Christ has no hands but yours. Christ has no hands but yours. And we should etch those words into our hearts as we love others. Have you been holding that thought? From the beginning, Howard Hughes. Been holding that thought. Let me conclude with another story from the same chapter. Descending into greatness. He goes on to write, I really didn't know the woman, save for the few times I saw her in a small church in Michigan. There was nothing outstanding about her, really. She volunteered in the church kitchen, an elderly woman, Average in size and appearance, dressed conservatively. In my mind, she was only remarkable in two ways. First, there was her consistency. Each time I visited the church, there she was in the kitchen. Fogged slightly in my memory by the steam of the soup. And then there were her eyes. They gleamed with a surprising kind of depth. This, a woman noticed by few, envied by no one. If I had to guess, she had little of what the world considers successful or valuable. No money, no power, no fame. Judging by her clothes it would be safe to bet that she owned little but gave much. She lived in the shadow of serving others if ever a woman had cause to complain the world would sigh it was this woman I don't even know her name but I remember her smile it spoke of joy it spoke of contentment and it spoke of love let's pray as I pray I'll invite the worship team to come back up please Heavenly Father first of all we thank you for Jesus Christ we thank you For your mercy in Jesus, that delivers us from the burden of working towards being right in your sight. Because we cannot do that. As Paul wrote, no flesh will be justified by living according to the Old Testament laws. But only through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that as a church, as we continue to speak that message into our community, that people will hear that, that we are saved in a relationship through you and we stand in your grace. We thank you for your word which continues to enlighten us and guide us and uh, continues to give us wisdom in terms of how we apply the Christian truths, Lord. And we thank you for this morning for the great time we've had to worship you thank you for our team that leads us into that experience of worship and for our church here lord continue to use this church to lift up the name of jesus in this community and bring people into your kingdom to live the life that you intended them to have and we pray this in jesus name amen